Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today we had a rather big judgment in YouTube's favor. And as you can tell from the title of this video, it's not that I don't like YouTube. It's not that I'm not positive that YouTube will take that title and almost assuredly demonetize this video. That doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is that the folks that follow virtual legality, the folks that follow the Hoglaw YouTube channel, that we've discussed things like COPPA and the FTC and the FCC and the IRS and everyone else, understands that, yes, YouTube can be great for a great many things, but at the end of the day, they aren't your friends, they aren't your family, they are a business partner. And that business partner can use the terms and conditions of their contract, can do what they like, with the private service that they provide for free for the most part obviously they collect data and that's how they got in trouble with the ftc and COPPA in the first place but that they provide it for free and that ultimately at the end of the day we talk a lot about law we talk a lot about terms and things in this series the courts are not going to protect you in most instances from arbitrary capricious mercurial action on the part of the youtubes the facebook's the twitters of the world and so without further ado, let's take a look at the story that I've brought up on your screen here. Ars Technica getting a lot of play lately in virtual legality. First Amendment doesn't apply on YouTube. Judges reject PragerU lawsuit. YouTube can restrict PragerU videos because it is a private forum court rules. Now we've discussed the First Amendment of the Constitution in virtual legality before. For those of you that aren't aware, it says that Congress shall not abridge the freedom of speech, among other things. It doesn't say anything about YouTube. It doesn't say anything about Twitter, Facebook, Toys R Us, anyone else abridging anything. The Constitution, the Bill of Rights, it's all related to how the government functions and not how private actors function. You might say, okay, Rick, well then what was all of this even about? And the answer to that is somewhat complicated, as you're probably familiar with as an answer in virtual legality. A lot of kind of gray area on the margin cases have been decided based on the premise that a private actor is performing a state function or that a private actor's space, the mall that they run or this common area that they operate is in fact a public forum that should probably be entitled to First Amendment protection. And the baseline argument of what PragerU was bringing is that YouTube is so ubiquitous, so popular, that everybody uses it for their video sharing services, that it had effectively become a public forum and YouTube a state actor. And what has happened today, this has already happened at the lower court level, but what has happened today at the Ninth Circuit is that this argument has been expressly rejected. So when you see news articles about this, when you see Talking Heads comment on it on MSNBC, Fox, CNN, whatever your preferred method of news outlet is, you should understand that that argument has been rejected as of right now. And that means, for the most part, that the Constitution is not going to be the avenue down which people that are upset about moderation policies or content policies travels. That we should expect this pendulum to now swing even further towards looking at the Communications Decency Act, looking to ascribe civil liability to moderation policies that you might otherwise disagree with, because it's getting harder and harder to even kind of hand wave at the claim that the YouTubes of the world provide a service that is entitled to First Amendment protection. 
So let's take a look as we do at the actual ruling, the source material here. Let's see if I can make this a little bit bigger for you. But this is Prager University versus Google LLC. And this is a Ninth Circuit decision, United States Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit. That's the West Coast, if you're not familiar with the circuits. It says, the panel affirmed the district court's dismissal of an action brought against YouTube and Google by a nonprofit educational and media organization alleging a violation of the First Amendment and false advertising under the Lanham Act, which you're also familiar with if you follow the series. That's That says you can't have false and misleading claims. That's what the Federal Trade Commission basically polices. Addressing the First Amendment claims, the panel, that's the judges, held that despite YouTube's ubiquity and its role as a public-facing platform, it remains a private forum. It's a corporation not a public forum subject to judicial scrutiny under the First Amendment. The panel noted that just last year, the Supreme Court held that merely hosting speech by others is not a traditional exclusive public function and does not alone transform private entities into state actors subject to First Amendment constraints. The panel held that the internet does not alter this state action requirement of the First Amendment. The panel therefore rejected plaintiff's assertion that YouTube is a state actor because it performs a public function. Now that's the main claim. And we're going to talk about Lanham Act too, because it's all very interesting and it's all kind of useful for understanding the current environment that YouTube channel operators operate in, that people that tweet operate in, that YouTube itself operates in. But just to kind of give you the contours here, the way this works, this is a court of appeals. It says the panel, the judges affirmed the prior court's dismissal. So the earlier court, the lower court here said, yeah, you don't have a claim Prager University. And so we are dismissing it. Prager University says, fine, we're going to appeal it to the Ninth Circuit. The Ninth Circuit comes in today and says, now we are affirming that. We are agreeing with the lower court that you don't have a claim. Finishing up with this summary, this is like an abstract of what their actual decision making was. Addressing the false advertising claim under the Lanham Act, the panel held that YouTube's statements concerning its content moderation policies do not constitute commercial advertising or promotion as the Lanham Act requires. We will see this argued, but basically they're saying what YouTube was saying in its terms of service, what it was kind of operating on and telling its channel operators how things were going to work, that wasn't advertising, that wasn't promotion. And until you kind of cross that threshold to commercial promotion, the Lanham Act doesn't apply. The restriction on false and misleading advertising doesn't apply to things that aren't advertising, as one might imagine. Nor was YouTube's designation of certain of plaintiff's videos for restricted mode part of an advertising or promotion or a misrepresentation as to the videos. Finally, the panel held that YouTube's braggadocio about its commitment to free speech constituted opinions that are not subject to the Lanham Act. Now, we're going to talk about this as we go forward with this decision, but it's always very important for people to understand this right? A lot of people come to me in my DMs and on my social media or in comments to my videos and say, hey, isn't that false advertising? When Video Game X says it's the best thing ever, or it'll have the lowest latency ever, or the frame rate is a solid 60 frames per second. If I can show that it's not 60 frames per second, maybe it's close, is that false advertising? It could be, but for the most part, the courts are going to give a wide bit of latitude to corporations and everyone else trying to sell something on the premise that they are puffing up their sales, right? This is the best thing since sliced bread is not an actionable claim. And here they're saying, YouTube saying, we are committed to hearing from different voices and from having a diversity of thought and free speech is the best. 
doesn't limit their ability to censor videos, doesn't limit their ability to restrict them, to demonetize them. Hey, I'm looking at you, reviewer, on this video. I know you're coming for this one. I can tell. Doesn't restrict their ability to do those things because they're a private actor, because you enter into the terms of service with them. And these basic kind of concepts, this aspirational tone that they have towards Americana and American principles of freedom doesn't limit their ability to actually operate. And that, if you take nothing else away from this video, YouTube is not your friend. YouTube is in the business of making money. And if they think that you aren't going to make them money, or if you're going to cause them trouble, or if they just don't like you, then for the most part, the prior PowerPoint slides that they presented saying how wonderful they are, or the Super Bowl commercial they took out about dead grandmothers isn't going to get you a win in a court of law. Let's actually look at the decision because that's only a summary that may or may not be written by a clerk or by one of the judges. But in this case, we've got an actual opinion to read. Using private property as a forum for public discourse is nothing new. Long before the internet, people posted announcements on neighborhood bulletin boards, debated weighty issues in coffee houses, and shouted each other down in community theaters. Juxtaposed with today's digital platforms, these analog means seem quaint. YouTube LLC alone has more than 1.3 billion users, more than 30 million visitors every day, and 400 hours of video uploaded every hour. Which, hey, you know, really makes my subscriber base seem small. So I think we've got a good opportunity for growth here. But suffice it to say, if you're following us on YouTube, you know how big YouTube is, how popular it is, how much time people spend on it, especially on their mobile devices. It is ubiquitous. Very rarely does that word actually make sense, but it is. Despite YouTube's ubiquity and its role as a public-facing platform available to all, it remains a private forum, not a public forum subject to judicial scrutiny under the First Amendment. Prager University, Prager U, sees things differently and claims YouTube's outsized power to moderate user content is a threat to the fair dissemination of conservative viewpoints and perspectives on public issues, and that YouTube has become a public forum. So we've seen this argument before, right? If you're in virtual legality a lot, or if you've seen us talk about these various things, you know in general, I believe in a certain amount of freedom, ability for people to enter into the contracts that they want. I agree that there should be, in general, a diversity of thought on things for the betterment of society and for human beings to engage with that diversity of thought. We just had a series of videos talking about that kind of concept within the video game industry. But what you won't hear from me is an obligation of one specific source to have that diversity of thought alone if it doesn't want it, to have the game spots of the world, to have IGN, Polygon, Kotaku, whoever you might think of in the game space, or in the news space, CNN, MSNBC, Fox, to have to mandate that diversity of thought. They're allowed to run their business the way they see fit and to hit, in particular, a niche audience that they might want to aim at. So yes, YouTube is enormous, but maybe YouTube and Google only want the audience that doesn't like conservative viewpoints and perspectives on public issues. Should the government, with its guns and its fines and its threats of imprisonment, be allowed to force YouTube to respect those conservative viewpoints? My argument would be no, 
My argument would be, as it is going to be shown here in the decision, that it's not a constitutional right, that you have to be able to have your video uploaded on YouTube. Now, that doesn't mean that Prager University couldn't have another claim. We can only look at the claims that they have brought here, and that's Lanham Act and First Amendment claims. There could be a breach of contract type issue. There could be this overall concept that YouTube isn't doing what it should be doing under the terms that you have agreed to with it. But ultimately, one of the pieces of advice I give to people who ask me about my YouTube channel, who ask me about pursuing their own YouTube channels, is that you have to understand that you have outsourced this fundamental aspect of your business. You have outsourced the ability to have the server farm. You've outsourced what it means to actually upload the video to a third party. And that third party could decide to turn it off. And that's part of the risk of your business model if you've decided to make your livelihood on YouTube. And no, that's not fair, right? You should be allowed to pursue anything you want and not have YouTube turn you off. But YouTube has the enterprise. YouTube has the servers. YouTube has the technical know-how. And if they decide they don't like you, then they don't have to like you. And yeah, absolutely. Bring anger against them. Bring claims against them. Make it public that they are turning off PragerU if you love PragerU or if they're turning off someone that you love. Make it public. Have those tweets. Make it cost them something from a perspective of goodwill if they want to act arbitrarily and capriciously. But don't seek out the government action. Don't go this route right now with the laws as they stand and try to claim that YouTube doesn't have that right. They do have that right. Take that into account as you make your decisions on where to spend your capital, your time, and what you want to do with your channel. PragerU runs headfirst into two insurmountable barriers, the First Amendment, yep, and Supreme Court precedent. Just last year, the court held that merely hosting speech by others is not a traditional exclusive public function and does not alone transform private entities into state actors subject to First Amendment constraints. Now, you see some of that magic language in that quote, right? And we saw that in the abstract in the summary. It doesn't transform private entities into state actors because it is not a traditional exclusive public function. That refers to another way in which the court has looked at potentially having First Amendment and other amendment restrictions placed on private actors. If you are performing a function that the state has traditionally and exclusively done, then primarily the court is worried about the state outsourcing that to a private body, which it might also control, by the way, and getting out from under the restrictions that the Constitution, both at the federal and the state levels, would place upon that actor, right? That's what we have seen kind of crawl its way through the courts is, oh, okay, this exclusive function that I do, whatever that might be, fishing licenses, if I outsource that to, an, uh, to a private actor, can they now act arbitrarily and capriciously? Can they now do things that I couldn't do under the Constitution? The Supreme Court has traditionally said, oh, no, no, no. We see that you're trying to get around all this stuff. We are going to ascribe these restrictions to that private actor. So what you're seeing here is, hey, YouTube isn't doing something the government does exclusively. YouTube isn't doing something that is a traditional state function because the function of YouTube didn't even exist as an apple in one's eye 20 years ago. So it can't be ascribed these qualities that we should apply the First Amendment to it. And I generally agree with that, as you can tell from this video. 
The internet does not alter the state action requirement of the First Amendment. The existence of the internet can't change the words on the page. We affirm the district court's dismissal of PragerU's complaint. Now for some background. PragerU is a nonprofit educational and media organization with a mission to provide conservative viewpoints and perspective on public issues that it believes are often overlooked. PragerU does not confer certificates or degrees. It's not, it's not a university. It's not a real university. Instead, the organization creates short videos for high school, college, and graduate school-age audiences and shares them on the internet. PragerU has posted hundreds of its videos on a broad range of sociopolitical issues on YouTube. YouTube hosts user-generated videos like this one and related content on its uh, eponymous platform. I always hate that word. YouTube is the world's largest forum in which the public may post and watch video-based content. Around 400 hours of video content are uploaded to the platform hourly. Indeed, more video content has been uploaded to YouTube than has been created by the major U.S. television networks in 30 years. More than 500 million hours of those videos are watched each day. I mean, wow. Wow. That's some good stats. YouTube invites the public to post video and other content on its platform and is committed to fostering a community where everyone's voice can be heard. Subject to the terms of service and community guidelines that a user must accept before posting a video, YouTube has reserved the right to remove or restrict content. Right? Right? If this isn't your first rodeo in virtual legality, you know we've talked about this. There was a big brouhaha about the terms of service being changed at YouTube, about being able to remove videos or otherwise suspend accounts if they deemed it to not be commercially viable. Commercially viable from YouTube's perspective. And one of the main takeaways I put in that discussion, in those videos in virtual legality, was the notion that, yeah, okay, they've now stated that up front, but guys... They've always had the right to remove videos and to otherwise knock you off of YouTube for any reason. There is no way that any corporation or any entity or any individual, if they were operating something like this, would have terms of service that didn't give them that right. Because the lawyers are wise enough to know that you can't anticipate why you might need to kill someone on your platform. That's fictional, not literally kill, right? That is a rhetorical device, YouTube and YouTube people that are reviewing this video, that they can eliminate you from access to their channel because they want to. And so I said it was a good thing that they were now being clearer about the reasons why they might want to, because the overall authority and power to do that didn't otherwise change. YouTube may remove content that violates its terms of service or restrict otherwise objectionable videos, even if they do not violate the terms of service such as those deemed to be age inappropriate. They can do whatever they want. Continuing with this decision. At issue here is YouTube's restricted mode, which when activated by a user makes unavailable certain age inappropriate content. In addition to individual users, institutions such as libraries, schools, and businesses can turn on restricted mode. On average, 1.5 to 2% of users view YouTube through restricted mode. According to YouTube's restricted mode guidelines, videos that contain potentially mature content, such as videos about drugs and alcohol, sexual situations, violence, including natural disasters and tragedies, or even violence in the news, and other mature subjects, such as videos that cover specific details about events related to terrorism, war, crime, and political conflicts, may become unavailable in restricted mode. 
The tagging is done either by automated algorithm that examines certain signals, like the video's metadata, title, and the language used in the video, or manually by a user. When a video is tagged, YouTube informs the content creator who may appeal the classification. YouTube's human reviewers then evaluate the decision. And as a matter of fact, while I haven't had any restricted mode issues in Hoglaw or virtual legality, I can tell you that basically every other video of ours initially gets tagged as what is called inappropriate for advertisers. And that's what is referred to as demonetization, I think most kind of colloquially on Twitter or elsewhere on social media. And this bugs me to no end. I actually tweeted about it today on one of our previous videos with respect to Clarence Thomas and his discussion of Chevron deference. But they don't give any reasons for these things, right? YouTube is a black box and it can be frustrating to operate in. One of the reasons I started this channel was because I had a number of clients that had YouTube channels were talking to me about the data they were, they were receiving, whether or not YouTube was being an issue for them, all these things. And I wanted to kind of get feet first and understand exactly what kind of information YouTube was giving. And the answer is very minimal, right? The demonetization of a video comes with a little yellow dollar sign that says it's inappropriate for advertisers and says, would you like it reviewed by a person? Because it's the algorithm that caught that for whatever reason. And as you know, if you follow this channel or this virtual legality series, we don't swear in virtual legality. We don't say things that I think are otherwise attacking. There's really no reason that I can come up with why any of the videos should be demonetized. But most of them come back green. You get the algorithm that says, oh, we are talking about something serious. We don't do that on YouTube. Why aren't you making a Roblox commercial? And says, you can't be monetized because advertisers aren't going to like this serious talk. And I say, all right, review it. And then in like a day or so, unfortunately, generally during the period where most of the people are going to watch the video, then they come back and they say, oh yeah, it's fine. Sorry about that. Uh, they don't actually say sorry. I'm adding a little bit of colloquialism myself. It just turns green and they say it's fine. But more and more over the past couple months, a number of them come back and say, nope, we were right. That is inappropriate for advertisers. And these are things that you might expect, the ones that are maybe a little bit meaner to YouTube, like this one. And they come back and they say, nope, we looked at it and it is inappropriate for advertisers. And you don't get any other information. Why? I wasn't swearing. I wasn't talking about drugs and alcohol, sexual situations, violence. What was I doing? And they've got kind of an umbrella term in their community guidelines or their advertising guidelines that says essentially anything controversial could potentially be demonetized, which is a very big term. And it's similar to this with restricted mode where you say, YouTube, you can do whatever you want. This list is completely inconsequential. One, because it's very, very broad. Two, because you're never going to tell me anyway, right? At least at my level of subscription, there is nobody for me to ask at YouTube to say, hey, can you clarify what tripwire I actually hit for this video? I don't mind. I think you have the right to do whatever you want. I can get frustrated at it and I can tell people that I'm frustrated at it, but you can do whatever you want. It would behoove you to tell me exactly what I did so that you can make money and I can make money and the video can get to more eyeballs, because I will also tell you that it's no joke that the YouTube algorithm, not a big fan of a demonetized video, doesn't make YouTube money. They're not that eager to kind of push it out there. So why don't you tell me what's wrong with it so I can avoid doing it the next time? YouTube's not so interested in that. And I think that is part of this story where the Prager use of the world get very frustrated at operating in this environment where they don't even get the information as to what might've been wrong with that one, YouTube. Continuing with the decision, 
YouTube tagged several dozen of PragerU's videos as appropriate for the restricted mode. YouTube also demonetized some of PragerU's videos, what we just talked about, which means third parties cannot advertise on those videos. It actually is described as limited advertisement, although I've never seen advertisement pop up on a video that is demonetized. So it's also unclear exactly how that works. But again, YouTube black box. PragerU appealed the classifications through YouTube's internal process, but at least some of the videos remain restricted or demonetized. Yeah, you just get a thing that says, oh yeah, we were right. PragerU sued YouTube and its parent company, Google, on two federal claims, violation of the First Amendment and false advertising, as well as various state law claims. The district court denied PragerU's motion for preliminary injunction to compel YouTube to declassify the restricted videos. The court also granted YouTube's motion to dismiss with leave to amend the federal claims. Instead of filing an amended complaint, PragerU brought it here. They appealed. Analysis, the First Amendment. PragerU's claim that YouTube censored PragerU's speech faces a formidable threshold hurdle. Uh, YouTube's not the government, everybody. YouTube is a private entity. The free speech clause of the First Amendment prohibits the government, not a private party, from abridging speech. PragerU does not dispute that YouTube is a private entity. It's good. You always want to not put the arguments that are crazy into your briefs. That operates its platform without any state involvement. These are not antiquated principles that have lost their vitality in the digital age. In Halleck, the Supreme Court considered whether a private entity that operates a public access channel on a cable system is a state actor. The plaintiffs tested a theory that resembled PragerU's approach, claiming that a private entity becomes a state actor through its operation of the private property as a public forum for speech. The court rejected this argument. Such a rule would eviscerate the state action doctrine's distinction between government and private entities because all private property owners and private lessees who open their property for speech would be subject to First Amendment constraints. Instead, the court reaffirmed that merely hosting speech by others is not a traditional exclusive public function and does not alone transform private entities into state actors subject to First Amendment constraints. In other words, just kind of having the availability for folks to speak on your platform doesn't make you the government, doesn't make the First Amendment apply to you. Now, we've spoken in this series about the First Amendment, freedom of speech being a value and not just a law, right? That these companies generally go out there and say they respect it, they want it, they want to encourage freedom of speech, they want to encourage diversity of thought because it's good PR. Because at least in the United States, at least in America, we still value freedom of speech. We like that. We like to see our companies at least kind of hand-waving that they value that as well. The blizzard of backlash, when Blizzard started censoring and penalizing folks in their Hearthstone community for saying things about Hong Kong and China and elsewhere, when they started penalizing those folks, it wasn't because they didn't have the right to that people got so upset. It was because there were folks that valued the freedom of speech and thought this American corporation was not evidencing that same value. They were reacting to it on a promotional level, on a public relations level, that this company was not operating within the thresholds that they had said they would, and they were not evidencing this value that these individuals themselves valued. It is okay to think that way. It is okay to say, YouTube, you aren't expressing the values that I value as a human being. But in the same breath, it's also okay to acknowledge that you have the right to be someone that I don't like. You have the right to do that thing. You have the right to censor the materials that appear on your forum 
but I have the right to say, that's not the way I wish you would operate. And I'm going to take my business elsewhere, or I'm going to tell everybody on Twitter and all my followers that you are doing this and it's not right. And that's okay. You don't have to pick one side or the other. It's okay to say, yeah, YouTube's a private entity. I still don't like the way they operate. Importantly, private property does not lose its private character merely because the public is generally invited to use it for designated purposes. YouTube may be a paradigmatic public square on the internet, but it is not transformed into a state actor solely by providing a forum for speech. 20 years ago, in the early years of litigation involving the internet, we held that a private entity hosting speech on the internet is not a state actor. We concluded that America Online, remember that? You got mail? Yeah, good times. A service that provided, among other things, internet service, web portal, and emails, was not an instrument or agent of the government. Got some quotes here we're going to skip over. That principle has not changed. Although we have not recently spoken on the issue, other courts have uniformly concluded that digital internet platforms that open their property to user-generated content do not become state actors. Can you imagine the inverse? Right, So much of our interaction with the internet, so much of our interaction with forums or in video games or just in software involves using user-generated content. That's everything from forum posts to tweets to mods in your favorite video game to maps or whatever it might be. That if a company that opens itself up to having that input from its users, maybe you're a NeoGAF user or a Reset Era or a Reddit user, and if you're open up to those things that you then have to be obligated under the First Amendment, what would the internet look like? What would our interactions with the internet look like? You might advocate for it. I don't personally advocate for it because I do think there is a usefulness in allowing different kind of corporations to be those laboratories of democracy that the states in the United States are supposed to be. That somebody can come out there and clearly take too strong a hand on moderation or too light a hand, and you can look at it and say, oh, that's ugly. I don't want to be there. I want to have a different rule set. I want to come over here. And ultimately, if you're all going to be governed by the same rules at a federal level, there isn't going to be that opportunity to have that different environment in which to operate. So personally, from my personal view, that's okay that they're not obligated under the First Amendment because the inverse, the opposite would be not only to require everybody that opens themselves up to a public forum to operate under the same rule set, to not give you that laboratory, but also because in my opinion, if you're going to have those obligations, there's going to be a lot fewer entities and people that are willing to take that chance, right? If somebody can sue you for a First Amendment violation, there are going to be fewer Reddits. There are going to be fewer forums that you might otherwise like to enjoy because they are too risky. There are going to be more private clubs. There are going to be more ostracization, more polarization, more separation of everybody on the internet because you want to make sure that you can control your private environment. And as soon as you become public, all of this hellfire rains down on you. So I don't think there's an alternative way to read the First Amendment here. But even if there were, I don't think it's a way that many of us would like, at least that are interacting with the internet as it sees fit today. In an effort to distinguish controlling precedent, PragerU argues that YouTube is a state actor because it performs a public function. It is true that a private entity may be deemed a state actor when it conducts a public function, but the relevant function must be both traditionally and exclusively governmental. 
This case that they're quoting is actually about a commons area that was operated in a very similar fashion to how the government would operate it, I believe around an arena. And so that's what PragerU was trying to bring as the test. But it's, as you could tell from just the language, traditionally governmental, that's hard enough. Exclusively governmental is harder still, right? The government does a lot of stuff that it hasn't done for the past 200 years, but it also has private actors that do that same kind of thing. And so it has to be both traditionally and exclusively governmental under this particular test in order to arrive at the First Amendment applying to a private actor. Clearly that burden wasn't meant here, but it's a very difficult burden to manage to meet in any case. As this decision says, this test is difficult to meet. I might have framed that as very difficult to damn near impossible to meet. It is not enough that the relevant function is something that a government has exercised in the past or still does, or that the function serves the public good or public interest in some way. Rather, the relevant function must have been traditionally the exclusive prerogative of the state. Indeed, while many functions have been traditionally performed by governments, the lean list of these very few recognized public functions includes running elections, operating a company town, and as this decision says, not much else. The relevant function performed by YouTube, hosting speech on a private platform, which admittedly assumes it's ground, right? When you add on the on a private platform, you've already decided the case at that point is hardly an activity that only governmental entities have traditionally performed. Private parties like grocery stores and comedy clubs have opened their property for speech. YouTube does not perform a public function by inviting public discourse on its property. The Constitution by no means requires such an attenuated doctrine of dedication of private property to public use. Otherwise, every retail and service establishment in the country would be bound by constitutional norms. And for this particular conversation, not just every retail and service establishment, but practically everyone on the internet. Amazon has user reviews. Blizzard has modded maps. There is nothing that I can think of that really doesn't involve some element of user-generated content. Maybe very specific journalistic websites that have their comments turned off. But even there, there might be instances where you've got that kind of user-generated approach, especially if you've got something like a poll on your website. Having that interaction, having that public-facing speech kind of concept doesn't make you the government, doesn't make Congress shall not abridged, not, shall not abridge the freedom of speech apply to you. And so it's really not a surprise that this decision came out the way that it did, but it's such an area of political discourse right now. I think it's an important decision to discuss all the same. That YouTube is ubiquitous does not alter our public function analysis. PragerU argues that the pervasiveness of YouTube binds it to the First Amendment because March teaches, Marsh teaches that the more an owner for his advantage opens up his property for use by the public in general, the more do his rights become circumscribed by the constitutional rights of those who use it. PragerU's reliance on Marsh is not persuasive. In Marsh, the court held that a private entity operating a company town is a state actor and must abide by the First Amendment. But in Lloyd Corp., and Hudgens, the court unequivocally confined Marsh's holding to the unique and rare context, which almost doesn't exist anymore, of company towns and other situations where the private actor performs the full spectrum of municipal powers. Cities run by companies. Cities, right? YouTube isn't a city. 
You might love it. You might need it every day. You might need to check YouTube when you first wake up in the morning and as the first and last thing that you do before you go to sleep. It doesn't make it your municipal electricity provider. And because of that, the Marsh decision is very, very limited. And it seems like, I don't pretend to know all these precedents that the court is quoting here, it seems like it was also already limited in cases that came out after that fact. You kind of get this, and you kind of get a notion of this when you read a lot of court cases. But there are plaintiffs, there are defendants that kind of bring halfway through whatever the line of cases might be that best supports their position and ignores what the rest of the court cases might otherwise say. That appears to be what the court is claiming here. That, yeah, all right, Marsh exists, but these other cases came out and said Marsh only applies to company towns. Stop trying to do that. YouTube does not fit the bill. Unlike the company town in Marsh, YouTube merely operates a platform for user-generated video content. It does not perform all the necessary municipal functions, nor does it operate a digital business district that has all the characteristics of any other American town. Although, that would be a very interesting thing if YouTube were to ever do that, kind of a Ready Player One scenario. YouTube also does not conduct a quintessential public function through the regulation of speech on a public forum. To characterize YouTube as a public forum would be a paradigm shift. And there's a footnote here, PragerU's citation to Lee does not solve the state action problem. In Lee, the parties conceded that the property, which was owned by the municipal government, was a traditional public forum. No such concession or government involvement exists here. There isn't that relationship between YouTube and the government, and they never, ever conceded that they're a public forum. So Lee is an unreliable precedent for this purpose. Shifting gears slightly, PragerU posits that a private entity could be converted into a public forum if its property is opened up for public discourse. This theory finds no support at all in our precedent. As, this, as the Supreme Court has explained, to create a public forum, the government must intentionally open up the property to public discourse. That YouTube is not owned, leased, or otherwise controlled by the government undermines PragerU's public forum theory. PragerU cannot avoid the state action question by simply calling YouTube a public forum. PragerU's attempts to foist a public forum label on YouTube by claiming that YouTube has declared itself a public forum also fails. YouTube's representation that it is committed to freedom of expression or a single statement made by its executive before a congressional committee that she considers YouTube to be a neutral public fora cannot somehow convert private property into a public forum. Again, as we said earlier in this video, YouTube is basically allowed to say most things in order to advertise itself or to present itself in specific ways. YouTube is even, as the court says, allowed to claim it is a public forum. And for the most part, if they don't use that too hard and they don't make that a case, hey, the First Amendment applies to us in all of its advertising, it's not going to be held against it in a case like this one. Yeah, we think of ourselves as neutral and public is a descriptor. Public meaning available to the public. Neutral meaning generally neutral. It is not a legally operative definition for what you are. When the court talks about a private forum versus a public forum, it is talking about state action. It is talking about a state relationship to the forum that it is describing. It is not merely talking about the characteristic of being open to the public. And so when YouTube says it is a public fora, then that isn't the end of the discussion about what YouTube actually is in the eyes of the law. Whether a property is a public forum is not a matter of election by that private entity. We decline to subscribe to PragerU's novel opt-in theory of the First Amendment. Both sides say that the sky will fall if we do not adopt their position. 
the sides generally do. You've got to get the judges on your side, but judges don't always like that. PragerU prophesizes living under the tyranny of big tech, possessing the power to censor any speech it does not like. YouTube and several amicus curiae, friends, people that submitted briefs on YouTube's behalf, on the other hand, foretell the undoing of the internet if online speech is regulated, which is also too broad, right? That sentence is regulated at all is the end of the internet. Probably not accurate, but you know, YouTube being a big internet actor would prefer it not to be. While these arguments have interesting and important roles to play in policy discussions, the people that write the laws concerning the future of the internet, they do not figure into our straightforward application of the first amendment. Because the state action doctrine precludes constitutional scrutiny of YouTube's content moderation pursuant to its terms of service and community guidelines, we affirm the district court's dismissal of PragerU's First Amendment claim. So, end of the day, the First Amendment applies to state actors. YouTube is not a state actor. No matter what they say, they can't decide that on their own. You can't hold what they say as a statement in a congressional hearing, or even what they say as part of their terms of service or their advertising against them for this purpose. It's a determination made on a legal basis by the court. Prager, you failed to meet that threshold, failed to establish that they were running the equivalent of a mining town and giving everybody electricity and land and space to breathe and food to eat. And so failing that, there really wasn't another direction for this to go. Now, there is some reading between the lines here. While these arguments have interesting and important roles to play in policy discussions, is the judge saying, hey, you know, we're not sitting here saying there is nothing to discuss about the way YouTube operates its business. But what we are saying is as members of the judicial branch, we aren't in a position to legislate from the bench what that might be. That if you want to have this conversation, that YouTube should have more restrictions placed on it, or more specifically, all of the big tech giants that operate in this sphere should have restrictions placed on it. Talk to your legislature. Talk to the people that are in charge of writing laws. And if you come back to us with a law that you think they violated, then we'll have that discussion. This First Amendment complaint, the constitutional complaint, doesn't meet that threshold. I think that's worthwhile. That's worth noting because it's undoubtedly the case that the Community Decency Act, Section 230, that gives them the liability shield for moderation and for operating on the internet, that's going to be something that is definitely going to be revised and modified in the near term. What that revision and modification looks like is going to be a very, very contentious discussion for the House and the Senate and the President in the next couple of years. It might even be an election type item, say, four years from now. So I think the Communications Decency Act is probably where this fight next lives. I think the court knows that in this case and is telling people to go fight this where it belongs and not on First Amendment grounds. They also dismissed the Lanham Act claim pretty quickly. Prager used other federal claim, false advertising, to establish a claim under the False Advertising Act, the Lanham Act, PragerU must allege a false or misleading representation of fact in a commercial advertising or promotion that misrepresents the nature, characteristics, qualities, or geographic origin of his or her or another person's goods, services, or commercial activities. Because none of this falls under any of that, we affirm the dismissal. In other words, YouTube's statements concerning its content moderation policies do not constitute commercial advertising or promotion. The statements about restricted mode were made to explain a user tool and not for the promotional purpose of penetrating the relevant market, as is required in some of this other precedent. PragerU did not allege any facts to overcome the common sense conclusion that representations related to restricted mode, such as those in the terms of service or the community guidelines and YouTube's contracts, 
are not advertisements. They're not a promotional campaign. They're the way YouTube wants to operate and describe how its service functions. They aren't advertising what the service is. Nor was the designation of certain PragerU videos for restricted mode part of an advertising or promotion or a misrepresentation as to the videos themselves. The designation and the reason for tagging videos to be unavailable in restricted mode are not made available to the public, right? Which annoys us to no end the content creators and the channel operators on YouTube. We would love to have more understanding of what they are basing their decisions on. But for this specific instance, it means it can't be advertising or promotion because you never told anybody what you were doing or why. So you can't have a false advertising claim against YouTube's use of the restricted mode designation because they never told anybody about it. Furthermore, The fact that certain PragerU videos were tagged to be unavailable under restricted mode does not imply any specific representation about those videos. Although a false advertising claim may be based on implied statements, those statements must be both specific and communicated so as to deceive. The only statement that appears on the platform is that the video is quote-unquote unavailable with restricted mode enabled. This notice does not have a tendency to mislead, confuse, or deceive. As a matter of fact, it is in fact unavailable. It's entirely true the public about the nature of PragerU's videos. YouTube's braggadocio, gotta love courts, gotta love judges, about its commitment to free speech constitutes opinions that are not subject to the Lanham Act. Lofty but vague statements like everyone deserves to have a voice and that the world is a better place when we listen, share, and build community through our stories or that YouTube believes that people should be able to speak freely, share opinions, foster open dialogue, and that creative freedom leads to new voices, formats, and possibilities are classic non-actionable opinions, or as the law likes to call it, puffery, which is just a great word. It basically means they're aspirational. They're not quantifiable. You can't judge them as anything except kind of a mission statement. And YouTube is allowed to say those things. It is allowed to say that warm and fuzzy stuff that people might otherwise like to take out that YouTube Super Bowl ad that gets everybody mushy and crying and then otherwise to maybe strike that grandpa's account as soon as possible, right? Google can do that. YouTube can do that because the rest is puffery. It's not actionable. It's not false. Similarly, YouTube statements that the platform will help one grow, discover what works best, and give one tools, insights, and best practices for using YouTube's products are impervious to being quantifiable and thus are non-actionable. The district court correctly dismissed the Lanham Act claim. And that's everything that was decided today. YouTube is not a state actor. The First Amendment does not apply. And as Ars Technica says, YouTube can restrict PragerU's videos because it is a private forum, as the court rules. It's always only ever been a private forum. I'm not sure a court ruling is necessary to actually establish that. As the court says, YouTube can't otherwise determine anything on its own, whether it's private or public. It's purely an action under the law. But it does mean, as the title of this video suggests, if you're operating in this space, if you're Hoaglaw and you've got virtual legality, it's always and forever on the understanding that YouTube can do just about anything it wants with my account, with your account, and with all of our videos.
That's been Virtual Legality for today. If you enjoyed this video, please like, please subscribe. I think this is an important one for YouTube content creators and people that are operating on the internet in general. So please do share it around. Please share it with Reddit or NeoGAF or Reset Era or anywhere else that would be impacted if they were suddenly declared a public forum that was required to obligate themselves under the First Amendment. I think a lot of those folks would get a kick out of it, and I would certainly love to have discussions with more and more people in the comments to these videos. Otherwise, if you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it in its podcast form, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.